Alright, please turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing our study through the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Last week we talked about the first three elements. And those of you who have uh, been in church for a while have heard sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. Or the, some people call it the Beatitudes. Have you ever heard that before? Yep, a few of y'all, the Beatitudes. I have a different take on it. I don't think these are a bunch of disconnected sayings. Everything I read and all the studies I've ever done is you learn what a verse means in context, right? And the rest of you? Yes. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> context is everything. Context tells you what's happening, who it's happening to, who's saying it, and it's understood that way. You can't take things out of context and understand God's word. And so these things sit in context with one another. And so we are traveling through the middle section of this. How many of you like medical shows? Like ER when that was out, or we like to watch that. Did y'all not, hey, did y'all, I'm going to diverge for just a minute. Back in the day, they used to do operations on TV. Did y'all, anybody ever see those? They don't do that anymore, do they? They used to do that until when we first got cable. And so uh, it was interesting. But, you know, we all like them. You know, and then sometimes we'll see these shows where they're trying to revive somebody. Who they've got no pulse, they've got no heart, you know, they're no heart rate, they're not breathing. And they're trying to revive them. And so they're showing no signs of life. And so they're trying to restore that. And then all of a sudden they get a pulse. And the person takes a breath. And we they have hope. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about coming alive. Because last week we talked about brokenness and dying to ourselves. Because that's what the first part of this is about. It's about the process of what happens when we die to ourselves and begin to live unto God. That's what we're uh, exploring today. And so we're going to be reading verses 6 through verse 8. Which says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that as we have emptied ourselves, as we have died to ourselves, as we have laid it down, as we have surrendered, that these things will be true of us. I pray this morning that you will speak to our heart, that you will resonate what's true and what's not true. And Father, if we've held to things that don't align with your word, I pray that we'll bring what we believe into alignment. And if we need to adjust or to depart from, to accept what's true, I pray that we'll do that. And so, Father, this morning, I ask you to speak to each and every person here and ask that you will apply your word to their heart and their life, and that you'll show them the blessing of what it means to walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, we talked about the process. And the process of dying and coming to the place where you are broken. 
And he begins by, he began by, re, we talked about realizing the spiritual, begin to see spiritual things going on around you. God begins to speak to you and, and work in your life that way. Then we talked about dying to yourself because he talks about here, those who mourn. People who are mourning have lost something or someone. And so they're going through this, this pathway of mourning and death. And when we go through that to ourselves, then uh, we're, we're traveling that same journey. When we come on, on the other side of that, we're no longer arrogant, but we're more of a gentle spirit. Because it's no longer about me. It's not about what I think. And it's not about, you know, how come you don't align with what I think? And, you know, this is, it's about what God has said. And so, which brings us to this morning, as we talk about coming alive. You will see that you're going to have new desires, a new attitude, and a new view. And so as we look at new desires, he tells us that in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they, I'm sorry, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so what we've heard in the past about this is you need to seek righteousness. You need to hunger for it. You need to want it. Have you ever heard that sermon before? What I've discovered is, when I've come to the end of myself, and my come across has changed because I'm no longer confident in the things that I used to uh, manage life with, I become very teachable at that point. I become willing to listen. Listen, when an arrogant person, or it, you know, and when we think about arrogant people, we really think about obnoxiousness, don't we? But you can be quietly arrogant also. You can be quiet and having a, a, a tremendous amount of confidence in yourself and relying on God only when it seems to exceed beyond that. And that's an arrogant position too because we cannot manage life. We're not good at it. It breaks down. It falls apart. Anybody here ever had a problem before that you couldn't handle, Right? If you were so good at it, how come you had the problem? The reason is because in life there are just problems. That's part of it. Sometimes they come to strip out our confidence in ourselves, so that we can rely on God. That's part of the journey. And so when he goes here and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, when somebody is hungry or thirsty, that comes from within, doesn't it? Because I've changed, because I've been through that other process, I'm now hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Now remember, if we go back, remember our definition of blessed. We talk in the world today, if somebody says, oh yeah, I'm blessed, it means something increased in their life usually, right? Their cash flow, their number of grandkids, their job, they got a promotion. You know, they, they think that's what blessed means. That's not what blessed means here, biblically. Blessed means understanding life from God's perspective. He's letting us see spiritually what's going. He's revealing the kingdom that's happening around us to us as we travel. And so our new desires come here as hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, once the old you is gone with its agenda and plans and ways of living... Then you respond to God in gratitude, naturally wanting Him. See, that's how we're supposed to serve, out of gratitude, not out of duty. 
We don't serve out because we have to. We serve because we come to the place where we realize what he's done for us. Isn't that why we're saved? Isn't that why you said yes to Jesus? Because you realize what he did for you. You realize you couldn't do it on your, on your own. You couldn't save yourself. And you put your faith and trust in him. And you surrender to him to save you. And then we're told, as you receive me, so walk you in me. And so in that same way of surrendering ourselves to him, we walk in those same ways. What naturally flows out of that is a desire for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for righteousness, not a self-righteousness. Because we all know where that leads. This is a righteousness that comes from God. It is the very presence and the outpouring of the spirit of God in your life. Because that's where righteousness flows from. We are, are we, the Bible tells us that we're made righteous. It's not about works that we've done. We've been made righteous. The righteousness of Christ is imputed. That's one of those big church Bible words that means put into. It's put into you. It's given to you. It's a gift. Because only his righteousness is acceptable. He never accepts self-righteousness. Even in doing works for him. We talked about that in our class this morning. Where Paul was actually out serving the church at Corinth. And trying to help put some things right. And he was pressed down and hindered by God. Because he was doing it on his own effort. And it, we're not meant to do to serve God in our own effort. We're supposed to abide. Maybe that's where we're going next. John 15. We're supposed to abide in him. That's where fruit is produced. And so, as we move through this, listen, it's a natural change that comes when you surrender to him. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, let me, say, let me tell you, listen to me, that is not a pursuit of biblical knowledge. A hungering and thirsting for righteousness is not a pursuit of biblical knowledge. Now, are we supposed to study? Yes. Are we supposed to read our Bible? Yes. We do it out of joy because of what he did for us because we want to talk with him and fellowship with him. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about righteousness, not, not head knowledge. And so righteousness is the life-giving supply of the vine bringing your fruit alive where it starts to show up. That's what happens. The righteousness of God changes, makes us acceptable to God. And then we're used and he shows up. And we desire to be in that moment where God is working. And see, that's where our desires change. Our desires, it's not what we do for God. It's being in the place where God's at work around us. And in the lives of people around us. And just hearing him saying what he leads us to say. Not saying what we want to say and letting God speak and trusting him and your desires change when you go through that when you want him and pursuing him listen you will be satisfied because he'll give you himself didn't he say if you seek after me you'll find me does, his body, does the word say that you know I have to wonder you know I went through this yesterday with the men um, 
I ended up leading the devotion yesterday and because God told me to do it and so I said yes. That was a win. <laughs> and well, it was a win until I found out the subject. <laughs> Uh, and the subject for us yesterday was, do you love me? And I had to ask myself that question. Do I really love him? You know, we all talk, we, oh yeah, we love God. We love God. Do I biblically love God? It's a good question. And so we, we walked through a series of verses. You know where we ended? No greater love has a man than he laid down his life for his brother. Do I love God? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to lay my life down? See, when we do that, when we go through brokenness, this is what comes. Your desires change. And so there's nothing more satisfying than seeking the Lord and having Him overwhelm your life with His presence. Nothing. I promise you, you could win the lottery. I'm not encouraging you to play the lottery. But you could, you could win millions and even billions of dollars and it will not bring satisfaction. Having all your bills paid off, we are like, man, wouldn't that be great? It will not bring you satisfaction. Your satisfaction only comes in Him. It doesn't come any other way. Your desires change following the brokenness process. And so this is the new desires. But we also get a new attitude. That's where verse 7 comes in. So we move. So now that we're seeking righteousness, we're hungry and thirsting for righteousness. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You develop a new attitude toward other people. Now I don't know about you, but there's a time in my life, and there's sometimes, it still happens sometimes, but people irritate you. Anybody go through that where people irritate you? They don't have to be in this room. <clears throat> but people irritate us. The way they act, the things they say, they cut us off. I, that happened twice this week. I'm like, why is everybody, does this say pull in front of me on the side of my truck? People kept cutting me off all week. I don't know what it was. Maybe I was driving too slow. <laughs> but people irritate us. Here, it changes. We get a new attitude. And he talks about mercy. Now, we talk about grace a lot in church, don't we? Right? We talk about grace. But grace and mercy sort of go together, but they're absolutely different things, right? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. It's like getting, since I was going too slow, I got, since I got pulled over for going too slow, and instead of getting a ticket, the cop gives me an ice cream cone. He doesn't live in Fluterville, by the way. That's terrible. <laughs> so the grace would be the ice cream. Not getting a ticket would be the mercy, which is what I deserve. Do you follow? It's important because what changes here is we start to see other people and we start giving mercy. We don't 
give them what they deserve. Because people are going to wrong you in this life, and people are going to do bad things. And what's happening here is having received mercy and understanding its impact in your own life, you give mercy because you know how it affects others. How many of you have ever had somebody cover you? Like take care of you at work, something bad happened, they said, man, I'll take care of it. You did, you did the wrong thing, you made a mistake, and you said, and somebody said, I'll take care of it. And they covered you. Just me and Emily, we're the only two. So the rest of y'all just ride with us through this. Thank you, Emily. Emily's my friend over there. <clears throat> but yeah, people cover us. And it's so nice, isn't it? When you've had somebody do that for you. When they could have just really bawled you out. Or they could have made your life terrible. And instead of holding you to task or keeping the thumb down on you, they said, look, we're going to get through this. And they got through it with you. Because we've received that from God, we've received that as part of our salvation. As he's bringing us back to life and our understanding changes, we begin to see... That that opens doors. How many of you who've been through that were thankful for that person? You're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. I'm so glad they were there in my life. Two of us. <laughs> right? That opens doors to the sharing of the gospel. When you demonstrate mercy and you give mercy, let me ask you this. The person who covered you if they made a mistake and did something wrong to you now, would you, how many of you would cover them back? We all would, right? Watch this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You guys just proved the biblical truth here this morning. We proved the word of God is true. We change. It changes us from the inside out. And so mercy, we serve out of gratitude, not obligation. And mercy is the key. Mercy is the key to the whole thing. Then, we hear, here's what we see. This is the law of sowing and reaping, isn't it? This is the law of sowing and reaping. Blessed are the merciful. Now, go back. Blessed is seeing what God's up to. So now we're showing, we're seeing what God's up to in these circumstances. So we show mercy, not because we've got to, not because we're trying to rack up points with God, but because we actually have compassion and mercy. And our life has changed, not just in our walk with God, but in our circumstances around us. And mercy doesn't, this is not what mercy looks like. Well, you know, I could have really hammered you, but I'm not going to. That's not what mercy looks like. Because they're still holding it over you, aren't they? Mercy is like, hey man, don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. We'll get through this. We'll get through this. Not to worry. 
Listen, it's hard to hold someone accountable who's let you off the hook. So show mercy, not to receive it, but because you know how much it means to be given a break. Consider other people. See, we begin to see what God's up to, and now we're starting to see other people. See, this is this whole thing's a process. Then lastly, we get a new view. In verse 8. See, when your life starts to be about others and not yourself, you're operating with a pure heart. So we get a new view. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I hated that one because I was like, if you knew it was in my heart, you ever sit there and say that? How many of you have ever done the right thing but your heart weren't in it? Right? Come on. It can't be just me. We do that all the time. Right? And so we get a new view. And he's talking about us having a pure heart. If I'm following this process, when I come to the place where I'm hearing God and I'm seeing people and I'm responding to their needs, a pure heart is not about me. Right? Isn't that what a pure heart is? So when it's not about me and I am serving what's best for them and, and giving mercy, then that's from a pure heart. Because it's not what I can get out of it. And that's a new view. You start to see life differently. You start to see your calling and your ministry. It's so funny because we want to buy books and books and books about what is the will of God. And it's just right here. The will of God is how we interact with other people. Well, what about specifically about this or that? And if you're doing, if you're following what this says about your interactions with God and other people, specifically, he'll put you where you need to be. It's not a difficult thing. We don't need to buy a book on it. We have the book on it. And so in Matthew 5, 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you would like to see the hand of God work in your life and lives around you? Amen. Right. Amen. We're all, yeah. Yeah. We want to be a part of that. The process to getting there is death and these changes. Because the pure and heart against when it's not about them. You know, there was an old, what was that movie with Jim Carrey where he's playing God and they were praying? Remember that? And, the, and they, people were praying and then he just answered yes on the computer and, it's, uh, and everything was going crazy. And that, maybe it was him or it's Morgan Freeman. I can't remember which it was. So Jennifer Aniston was in it. And uh, Bruce Almighty, so it was him. And he, pray, he prayed, some guy prayed, he said, I just want her to be okay. And he said, that's a prayer that I can answer. It's really interesting. It wasn't until it wasn't about him, right? And that's kind of what we're talking about. When it's not about us. Because let me ask you something. If you're saved, are you good if you're saved? <laughs> Okay, let me rephrase that. <laughs> Are you taken care of if you're saved? 
do we, do, I mean, although we think we have needs, if I run out of money and I'm homeless and I die because I'm outside cold, I'm still good, right? God didn't abandon me. I'm not encouraging that, by the way. Um, but I'm, I'm safe. I'm safe. What do we really need? Can we get anything greater than salvation? Than a relationship with Jesus Christ? Sometimes we, I think we think we can. And we want this life to be easier. I, I challenge you, I've never found that in the Bible. <laughs> Matter of fact, what I found in the Bible is that he who walks godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. Especially today in this environment. You know what? If it was just this group here, I pray that that's how we're known. Let's be the few. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen, he's destined for the pulpit. <laughs> and him and his pumpkin. All right, so we get a new view. It, yeah, when you seek God and seeking Him first and everything else, everything else falls into alignment. And so that's the beauty. This is, listen folks, this is what coming alive looks like. Isn't this, wouldn't this be cool to have your life like this? The truth is, you have it now. That's the truth. But we hold on to some things that we're unwilling to turn loose of. And we feel like sometimes God is fighting us. And we're holding on to these very things that God doesn't want. But he wants an open hand. So that he can remove some things, but he can put other things in there. When your fist is clenched, you may think nothing can get out, but nothing can get in either. But when it's open, when everything you have, when everything you are belongs to him. He can put everything you need there, and he can take away the things that don't matter. And that's how we have to come before and surrender. And so if we're going to come alive, the question is for us, have you come to the place that you've given up all hope in yourself to manage life? You know, some of the biggest obstacles we face is not our weaknesses, right? It's our strengths. Because our strengths allow us to put our confidence in something other than God. We would never put, our, put confidence in our weaknesses, would we? I'll give you an example. I would never put my confidence in my own ability to fix my vehicle. I'm not a mechanic. I look at that. Or to do accounting. I've had people who are very simple and good at explaining that try to explain it to me. But I've never understood how a credit can be a plus and a minus at the same time. That makes no sense to me. Thank God for the people who get it. That's not my gift. But that's why we're in this together. So I would never put my confidence in that. But there might be something that I am good at that I put my confidence in instead of God. That's why sometimes those things get frustrated in our life. So that we will have no confidence in ourselves, 
but we'll turn to God. It's in 1 Corinthians. And so have you come to that place? When we stop applying our solutions to God's agenda and seek his righteousness, we no longer feel empty. We're going to be satisfied. There's nothing more satisfying to know that God did that. That God did that. And, and you knew, you know that had nothing to do with you. He just gave you the gift of letting you be there when it happened. Two. If we're going to come alive, if someone does you or a loved one wrong, do the scales need to be balanced for you to feel a sense of fairness? Well, so-and-so said this to me, and I just avoid them now. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever avoided somebody because of something they said to you? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll do mine. Well, I ain't talking to them. I can't stand them. And then they come and apologize and everything's fine. Right? Is that how forgiveness works? Does it say anywhere in the Bible that they have to apologize for you to forgive? Nope. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, while we were doing the wrong thing, while we were still heaping up the stuff that it was going to be put on him, he went to the cross for us, for, to provide forgiveness for us. And so here, <laughs> do the skills need to be balanced? For it to seem fair. You know, there's a hundred ways to balance the scales. And in our mind, this is what we do. We get these scales here, picture these scales. Somebody does a wrong to you and it goes back. Well, if I do a wrong to them, then it balances the scales. Now we're even. There's an even amount of hurt, I would agree. But you know, if the scales are like this, there's another way to balance them. It's to remove that offense and let the scales rebalance themselves. I'm glad that God does not have scales of heaven for my life. Because <laughs> they would be way out of balance. And not in my favor. Or can you let it go even if they don't apologize? Well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad they betrayed me. Have we betrayed God? Yeah. Yeah. That's the great mystery to me. Maybe we ought to do a series on that. Why do we... Oh, well, we're going to do that in our class, actually. Why we still sin after we're saved. You have to understand why you sin to be able to deal with it. That's coming. That's, that's a lesson coming up. 
our class is moving a line at a time. We can turn an eight-week study into two years. <laughs> or less, hopefully less. <laughs> but the fact is, folks, we need to demonstrate mercy because we've received it. We, what has God not forgiven us of? And has he ever done us wrong? Never. Three. When others become a priority for you above yourself because of the gratitude you have for all God has done for you, then you're going to see him working. When you start to prioritize other people over yourself as you're seeking the Lord, you're going to see the hand of God at work. You can't, it's, we're promised here in Scripture that. And so, why, you know, we all said, yes, I'm in for that. But to do that, you have to, you have to start back here and work, and work through the process. He'll take you as fast as you say yes. But that's how it works. And so, let me give you something to think about. There, oh, there was this, this guy who was a government guy. And he was doing some surveying. And he went out to this farmer who had this land. Some of these stories have new meaning for me. <laughs> and he's like, um, I'm here to do some surveying, sir, and I need, to, I need access to your field. And the farmer looked at him and said, you ain't going in that field. And the, the guy from the government, the representative, got a little bit upset. And he pulled out this paperwork that showed him that he had the right to go survey wherever he wanted to go. And he looked at me and said, what do you say to that? He said, you ain't going in that field. And uh, he said, sir, I have every right and I'm going. And so he crawled through the barbed wire and he went out there in the center of the field. All of a sudden, the ground started to shake. And he heard thunder. And he turned around and the biggest bull he'd ever seen was charging right for him. The man dropped his equipment, was running, lickety-split. And he's going, help, help, yelling for the farmer. And the farmer yelled back, show him your papers. <laughs> Listen. I think we're a lot like the government, man. We need to be willing to listen. We kind of think we have a right and we fight for our rights and we don't listen and ask the right questions. We're so busy doing that. When we get on his agenda and not our own, it changes everything. And so I'd encourage you. Don't be fighting for your rights. Listen, when I laid my life down for Christ, I gave up my rights. Give them up. And so if you've been fighting, if you're in a situation that is just going poorly, I want to encourage you, there's hope. There's hope. Listen to him. 
This is what coming alive looks like. Next week is going to be super fun, sort of. But I want everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. What is God 